There's no place like the cross, the place where we need to be. Um, we are in Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 20 this morning. We've moved to a tough place because it's the place where we have to take an honest look. The Bible says that we all have this issue called sin. No one's exempt. There's no one beyond that painful truth. And so we're going to look at that this morning as we look at God's faithfulness in spite of our unfaithfulness. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. And I ask you to stand when you find that as I read aloud. What advantage then... Is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they've been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar as it is written. So that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If if that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that God may result. Their condemnation is deserved. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we're able to bow our hearts to you this morning. Uh, Father, you are the God who knows us inside and out. You know us from every possible angle. And you have chosen to love us, Lord. Your word says, He who did not spare his own son. What a thought. But gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You are the God of full generosity who held nothing back. Calvary was the work that paid for it all. Thank you for that, God. This morning, as as we look at the fact that we're messed up, Lord, (laughs) this word used depravity, which means that there's nothing in us that deserves eternity with you. 
nothing in us that deserves that forgiveness that you alone can bring. But thank you, Father, that you love us anyway. And I just pray this morning as you lead us, may we see you and how much you love us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. In chapter 1, we looked at the righteousness of God. And then in the closing parts of the chapter, we took a really hard look at what life is like when God doesn't get any gratitude and when God doesn't get glory. It says three times, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over to sins that were very visible, that were in obvious rebellion against God and His ways. And then we come to chapter 2, and it's those who were working toward God, who were seeking to give gratitude and glory to God, looked at those people who obviously weren't giving glory and gratitude to God, and were saying, man, what a slime ball he is. You know, she's bleh. And, and so there was judgmentalism. And as we looked at that scripture, you know, God was saying, what are you doing? You too need a savior. You too need to be forgiven. Quit looking around and judging people as you look around. Instead, you need to look up and see that I'm holy. You need to look to me. Don't judge yourself by those around you. Judge yourself by me. And, and then you come to that next section of scripture that we looked at last time with legalism. How in churches a list of rules becomes how we judge one another's walk with God. And man, how tragic that is. We, we were in Sunday school this morning in the, in the class that I was in. And there was an example shared that, man, it's talking about how people were not welcome in church. And that just broke my heart. And that just really bothers me. Now, I know that there's a difference between people being in church leadership and there is a standard there. But I'm talking about anybody should be able to walk through the doors and to feel welcome here. Anybody should be able to come in here and, and find hope and find lives that are changed and are transformed. And anyway, he, he spoke about that. He spoke about those who had that, you know, attitude of, you know, I walk with God and I walk closer than you. you know, oh, come on, get over it. <laughs> well, then we come to the end of chapter two. And Paul, he speaks, he says, no man is a Jew if he's one inwardly. Circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. As, as Paul reflects, as he looks back, he, he was a Pharisee at one time. He knew what it was like to follow those strict rules. He, know, he knew what it was like to, to walk that straight and narrow way to hopefully get closer to God. And he looked back and, and he, he, he began to look not only outward at what was going on. He began to look here. And, and that's where we get to chapter 3. As it starts out is that hard look inside. That hard look of that struggle that we all face. Years ago, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote a book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And there was this guy, Dr. Jekyll, he was suave. <laughs> you know, he had it together in the way he presented himself. But there was also another person, another side of him, Mr. Hyde, who was evil, <laughs> who, who, who was, man, he was just mean. And there was an ugliness about him. <laughs> and the truth of the matter was it was the same person. And so it is with us. 
The Bible tells us that inside there lurks someone else that we try to hide, that we don't want other people to see. Mark Twain said it like this, everybody has a moon and has a dark side which he never shows to anybody. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 in the NIV says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, in verse 10, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind according to what a man deserves, according to what he's done. God sees us, guys. He knows our hearts. He, he, he knows us inside and out. He knows us through and through, and, and he loves us. And as we come to this section of Scripture in chapter 3, he starts out with three arguments. First, he begins, he said, what advantage is there in being a Jew? What value in circumcision? He says, what value in basically being that religious person that has the talk down, that has the church culture down? Hallelujah, praise God. You know, you got it down, you know, got the words down. He says, what value is there? He says, "Uh, much in every way, first of all, they've been entrusted with the very words of God. He's saying, man, what matters is is in that church culture, hopefully the truth of God, the the word of God is is there. And people have have been exposed to that truth. And he says, hey, don't simply knock church. Don't simply knock God's people getting together. Are we a mess? Yeah, we're a mess. But praise be to God that in our weakness, there is a strength. It is the very strength of God. It is Jesus Christ. And, And guys, that's what we communicate that is our lives not our weakness but the strength within us in spite of our weakness jesus christ he says there's value there those words those jews have that value of a message and so do we in our mess there's a messiah then there's another argument here Uh, he says what if some did not have faith will their lack of faith nullify god's faithfulness (laughs) In other words, what happens when God's people mess up? What happens when God's people don't have enough faith? What happens when God's people fail? Does that mean God has failed? Notice what he says, verse 4. Not at all. Let God be true and every man is a liar as it is written so that you may be proved right again when you speak and prevail when you judge. He says, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? What what is he saying here in the scripture? He is sharing that it is not a matter of our faithfulness. It is a matter of God's faithfulness. That in the weakness of his people, he reigns. It gives him a place to shine. It gives him a place to share his glory. Gives him that ability to, to speak to us, even in our unbelief. This is a quote from Psalm 51. Remember the setting of Psalm 51. David, a man after God's own heart. He was in a place he shouldn't be. He was on the roof. and hey, You guys, many of you remember the account. He, he was up there. He shouldn't be up there. It says that his men were marching off to war. He should have gone with him. Instead, he's just kind of looking around. He happens to look out and sees this beautiful woman bathing. He's a man. He's all man. He's looking. Next thing you know, he sent some guys to go get her. Turns into a night of romance that goes from bad to worse. 
he ends up trying to hide. <laughs> he ends up trying to hide it. And, and it just gets worse. He ends up murdering her husband and, and living in a state of lies. And, and then God sends Nathan, his prophet, to confront him about the situation. And that's where Psalm 51 comes. He writes this song as he's brought face to face with his sin after trying to hide it. He says in verse 3 of Psalm 51, For I know my thoughts, my sins always before me. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So what's he saying? He's saying, God, this isn't ultimately against everyone else. It's against you. And he says, So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. He's saying, God, you're always right. I'm the one that's got the problem. I'm the one that's messed up. I'm the one that needs help. Now, back to Romans 3. There's a final argument here. Um, Notice in verse 5, he says, If our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? He says that God is unjust in bringing His wrath on us. Uh, There's a kind of twisted logic here that is shared. Um, So if we sin more... It brings out more of God's grace, more of God's righteousness. So let's go for it full throttle so that God can display his forgiveness and his power and his righteousness to a stronger degree. He says, man, that's a lie. And that's that's what he focuses on here. And he he goes down through here. He says, certainly not in verse six. He says, if that were so, how could God judge the world? He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. And then he goes on and he says, someone might argue that falsehood enhances God's truthfulness increases his glory he's you know it's, it's kind of that same argument man we want all the firefighters and, and the and, and the police and the people who deal with crisis and, and deal with tragedy we want to make sure there's plenty of that in town plenty of wrecks and, and and plenty of crime and so that these people can do their job and get their medals are you kidding me i don't want to see people suffer that's not god's heart he's not after the suffering matter of fact he comes down here to verse eight as he summarizes this together He says, why not say, as we are being slanderously reported, as saying, and as some claim, let us do evil that good may result. He says, no. No. So so he goes with these arguments, and then he comes down, and then he just hits it head on as he looks at our condition. Remember the old uh, Humpty Dumpty (laughs) Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Sin never glorifies God. And the sad truth that's revealed through his word and his law is that we're sinners. Uh, As uh, Wednesday night, as Chip Ingram had shared in a message that we watched here, He encourages us to learn Psalm 139, the very last two verses, 23 and 24, where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He's saying, God, I want to be honest before you. I want to be open before you, God, that you may clearly look inside, Lord. And the truth of the matter is, just like Humpty Dumpty, man, when you fall and you're broken, you just can't put yourself back together again. Uh, it's interesting in researching this and finding about brokenness that, you know, this story more than likely goes back, has nothing to do with eggs. 
But rather it goes back to colonial days where the teachers of that day had a primer that they would use to teach in elementary school, teaching letters and simple words to children. And as they taught on the hard benches, uh, the primer would be open and to convey the A and the X, there was this saying, In Adam's fall, we send all. Xerxes the Great did die. And so must you and I. And at some point, it's believed some clever teacher used an egg as an example. And now that came Humpty Dumpty. But there's a great truth there that is shared. It's that all of us have sinned. As he said, Xerxes the Great did die and so must you and I. And sin leads to death. It leads to death. We're going to jump up Romans 5, 12. I mean, we're not going to hit this today, obviously, Romans 5, but we'll be there before you know it. And in verse 12, it reads, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. If Adam had not fallen into sin, those first ones had not actively rebelled, there would not be death. There would not be this depravity, but now it's taken hold of all of us. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And listen to verses 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, that's what's in here, that's the depravity, when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Uh, the word literally means to be trapped. To, to, you know, to fall into this trap. And, and you can't get loose. And listen to verse 15. It says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now, that's the dilemma that we hear about in the Scripture. Is that there is that part of us that craves sin that is rebellious against God and man once that thing takes root uh, within us it says it leads to sin and in that sin that sinful nature within us that depravity that's there it eventually leads to death and that's the tragic news and that's the story of being separated from a holy God that's the idea that no matter how good you are man it's not good enough we're broken we're messed up we need help um, look at verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Back in Romans 3. Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are like. Or all under sin. He's saying, man, you know, you, you may have grown up moral. I guess would be a modern day type of application. You know, you might not have been one to get in a lot of trouble. You, you know, you might not have been that little hellion, you know. that, that uh, I'll never forget uh I I came to Christ, I was 15, and thank God I didn't get in a lot of major trouble, but I was mischievous. And my Aunt Pearl, if y'all have ever heard me talk about my Aunt Pearl, she was a handful. But my Aunt Pearl was talking to a neighbor, and she was proud of me because at this time, I had given my life to the Lord, and I was trying to follow the Lord and all that. But she's talking to this neighbor, and she says, yeah, she says, my nephew Todd, he, he loves the Lord. And she said, that little hellion? 
I remember when he did this. Thankfully, I can't probably it's a convenient. I can't remember what I did. But, you know, she's like, what? Yeah. Nailed. You know, that uh, that was me. <laughs> you know, whether you have that background where you grew up in church or, you, you know, you, you, you grew up around people that were nice and kind and, and good people in the community and, and all that stuff, or, or whether you grew up in a tough place and, and you did all these crimes. You know, he said, hey, we're all alike. We're alike. We all still have that issue of being disconnected from a holy God because we have heart disease. We have sin that's, that's working in our lives. Look how he says it here in verses 10 through 12. He says, as it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. Boy, that, uh, that's an inclusive word, all. Um, none. He says, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. No one. He says, we all are desperate to be forgiven. You know, it's so easy to look around and say, you're a mess. But the truth is, we all are. That's just the story of the gospel. As you look at these verses, uh, Romans 3, 10 through 12, there are quotes from Ecclesiastes 7, from Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Psalm 10, Isaiah 59, Proverbs 1, and Psalm 36. So as we look at this, this is all God's Word working through Paul as, as he's speaking. It doesn't come from just one place, but God take that Word and running it through Paul's heart and his mind, and then bringing forth this wonderful section of Scripture that basically says, man, we're all in trouble. We all need help. And, and look as he goes on and as he describes our condition here, um, guys. Uh, notice that these start out, they're all, you know, don't even get below the neck. We see the problems here. <laughs> Starting in verse 13, he says, their throats are open graves. He says, man, what comes from our minds... And, comes out of our mouths. It's just, it's not holy. Their tongues practice deceit. We are called to live by the truth. It says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Man, we're to be who we say we are. God's doing that work through His people. He wants us to become transparent because we're real and we're genuine. And He says that that's not the natural condition of the heart because of sin. He says the poison of vipers is on their lips. In other words, they're striking out and hurting other people with what they say. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Then he goes, oh man, this is just, this is depressing. I'm glad I don't stay here too long, you know. But the scripture just, man, it just is honest in showing that we're in trouble. He says their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. They don't know what it's like to rest. They may act like they're tough and they may act like they're happy, but they're not. There's no peace. So sad. He says, verse 18, there's no fear of God before their eyes. And, and notice as he goes on here, he says, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, every mouth may be silenced, the whole world held accountable to God. In other words, we 
as it says in Romans 14, 12, we'll get to later. It says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You know, we're not going to go up there and just watch everybody else have to give an account to God. I have to give an account to God and so do you. That's what he's saying. Um, then he comes to verse 20. He says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. He says, rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law doesn't save anybody. The law shows us we need to be saved. That's what, what it does. As you look at God's commands and his rules, you're reminded, man, I've, I've messed up. I'm in trouble. It says in James 2, verse 10, check out this verse. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. In other words, if you have ever sinned, you're guilty of breaking all of it. Now that means all of us are guilty before a holy God. You know that old saying, if anyone here says they're without sin, just, you know, I'll just call and talk to your family, get the truth, you know. Because we're, that's, that's guys, where we are. Um, I close with this uh, illustration. Man, a life without God, without glorifying God and, and giving um, gratitude to God, you can quickly go downhill and find yourself where you never dreamed you'd be. And so it was with uh, Ernie. Um, he and Mike, when they were kids, played together and enjoyed one another's company. But as they got to be teenagers, they started going separate ways. Um, Mike, he gained a love uh, and a dream when he got out of school of, of starting his own business. So he started working hard toward that goal. Ernie, on the other hand, he, he got involved uh, in drugs and he got involved with shoplifting. And then he got involved in stealing cars. <laughs> One thing led to another. He ended up, when trying to steal a car, things went bad. And he ended up taking out his gun and murdering someone, so he ended up in jail. And then he finally ended up on death row. And then years later, you know, after all this stuff has happened, Mike heard about Ernie's, where he was, and so he started writing him letters. And they started writing back and forth. And uh, finally, uh, er, Mike was able to come and see Ernie. And so he came, and, you know, they couldn't touch each other because, you, you know, you got that... You know, divider there where, you, you know, you can't get through, but you can talk through there. And so they were talking, and, man, Ernie's heart was just kind of softened. He thought, man, I, I miss those days. I miss the days where, you know, Mike and I were, you know, having fun. And, and you know, life was just so simple then. If, if I could just start again, if it was just new. And one thing he realized... Uh, about Mike was uh, he wasn't able to read or write those letters without some help because he was legally blind. His eyesight had, he'd been legally blind for a while and he had people helping him. And he thought, you know, I want to do something to help my friend. And so before he was executed, uh, they worked it out where they were able to take his eyes and transplant them into his friend. And so Mike was able to see clearly. So there was something new that came out of something broken. Now, in a much larger way, the Bible says we're blind. 
Um, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays Christ, who is the image of God. But praise be to God that as I in my prayer in Romans 8, 32, it says he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Jesus didn't just donate his eyes to you. He gave it all. He gave all that he is at the cross. He took all that we are and gave all that he is so that we could receive all that he is as he bore the pain of all that we are. That's the gospel. That's the story. And I'm so grateful it doesn't end with our mess. It ends with him. And, you know, as we come to a time to respond, that's what it's always about, guys. God loves you. I don't care what it is that you have done. I don't care what it is you may be doing now. He loves you. And he wants you to know that. He, he, he forgives you. He died on a cross. But he says, I want you to come to me to receive that forgiveness. I want to give you a new start. I want to give you a new life. I, I want you to have peace. I don't want you to be marked by what this passage talks about. I want you to have that new start, that new life. And so as we have a time of invitation, there's an altar open. And maybe God's dealing with you about following him, serving him. And maybe you just need to come and you need to pray. But maybe you need to come and you need to share with God's people what he's up to in your life. Maybe right where you are, you need to stop and pray and say, God, forgive me. I am a mess, but you save. So save me, enter me. Give me that new start. Um, I need you, Lord. I just want us to listen to his voice and to do what he wants. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for a chance to look at your word in our condition. Father, as we come, change us, Lord. Remake us, Lord. Father, we're... Without hope, but you are hope. Father, if one has not found hope in you, may this be the moment, may this be the time. You love us, Lord. And I pray that no one would leave here without a, that realization seared into their hearts, God. That you loved us so much that you'd rather leave heaven to be with us than to stay there without us. So thank you for that. And Father, as we stand and as we sing, may we obey and come. In Christ's name we pray.